If you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. For those of you who are visiting, we uh, it is our typical practice to preach through books of the Bible, and so we are going through the book of Acts. We've been in Acts 16 now for four or five weeks, and so we are in the last little passage of Acts 16, verses 35 through 40. Please hear the word of God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and they have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these things to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. Should have asked for forgiveness, going back a few sermons ago. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. They also went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we have read your word, so I pray that you would give us wisdom uh, as we seek as Christian citizens uh, living in a non-Christian society. Um, seeking to honor you, give us wisdom so that, uh, that we might better be able to honor you as Christian citizens. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think many of you in this congregation know what happened on June 6, 1944. That, of course, was the day that the Allied nations invaded Europe in World War II. The Germans prepared defenses that were designed to push the, the Allies back into um, the Atlantic Ocean. In fact, uh, the Germans referred to Europe as Fortress Europe. The Allies invaded Europe with 160,000 uh, troops. They used over 5,000 ships and over 1,100 planes. And the Allies invaded um, Europe on the Normandy coastline in northern France. And it was not a given that they would be successful. In fact, several times it looked like they would fail. The Americans who invaded at Omaha Beach almost got pushed back into the sea. For a while there, several hours, uh, it was really iffy as to whether they would be successful. And they were like the point of the spear. They were right, they were uh, in the middle of this invasion. Um, in fact, it was so iffy at one point that at 1.35 in the afternoon, uh, the Germans at Omaha Beach prematurely advised the German headquarters that they had stopped the Allies and were turning them back into the sea. But of course, you know, we know that the Allies ended up overcoming on Omaha Beach. 
Uh, in fact, uh, the invasions along that 50-mile uh, stretch were successful. But even though they successfully gained that foothold, the invasion was still in question. Because a couple of days later, the Canadians were met by German, uh, actually German tank divisions uh, outside the city of Caen. And the Allies were stopped there for an entire month. Had the Germans been able to hold on a while longer, uh, they would have been able to split the Allied invasion uh, force in half and then more easily um, uh, defeated the Allies. So this too threatened the invasion, but the greatest threat to the uh, Allied invasion effort was the, the Normandy Bocage. What's a Bocage? Bocage, well, the entire Normandy countryside was crisscrossed with these enormous hedges. These hedges were so big and so thick that a tank couldn't even get through them. I've seen uh, footage on the History Channel of these tanks running headlong, full speed, right into these hedges and being stopped uh, flat, stopped completely. These, these series of, of hedges ended up acting as mini forts for the Germans. They could uh, easily defend themselves uh, from the Allied attacks. This ground the invasion to a standstill for weeks. And so for several weeks after the actual invasion, there were still big questions about whether the Allies would be able to retain their foothold in Europe. I tell you this because the Apostle Paul invaded Europe in Acts 16. He invaded Europe not with tanks and guns. He invaded Europe with the gospel. And this was, of course, several, year, several hundred years, almost 2,000 years uh, prior to World War II. He invaded from the east, whereas the Allies were invading from the west. And he gained that initial foothold into the continent of Europe with the conversion of Lydia. We read about her, or we read about her um, a few weeks ago, so I'll remind you of her conversion in verses 14 through 16 in chapter 16. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, there's that promise again that we We've mentioned earlier. She urges, urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so, that initial foothold uh, was gained there in the city of Philippi. But then Paul began encountering almost immediately withering counterattacks. Uh, for, a while it, for a while it looked like the gospel would lose its foothold and that Paul and the gospel would be repelled back into Asia. The attack started with a slave girl. Remember this? 
in verses 16 through 18, as we were going into the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned to her and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Of course, that uh, resulted in her owners uh, losing out on the income from the fortune tellers. So they seized Paul and Silas. They charged them with causing a disturbance and advocating the overthrow of Roman law. And they were sentenced without even having a trial. Then they were severely beaten with rods. We know from later in in Acts 16 that their skin was opened up because of the beating that they took. And at at this point, one has... Oh, and then after they were beaten, they were thrown into the jail, into the deepest part of the jail. And so one has to wonder at this point if the gospel is going to be is going to lose its foothold in Europe the gospel is under attack in our own country today uh, it is overtly attacked on our college campuses and it is attacked in the news media and there's many other ways that you know about that the gospel is under attack in our society is subtly attacked in our pop culture In fact, I added this into my sermon because of a discussion yesterday on the way home with our youth. Uh, I was talking to them on the way home and we were talking about uh, the gospel and, and it turned to Disney. You know, we like to think that the Disney Channel gives wholesome programming for our children. But have you ever noticed that God is completely ignored on the Disney Channel? Um, Our children are taught to live their lives without God. They are taught to uh, work through their problems uh, without the gospel, without any help from the gospel. And it's a subtle but very effective attack on the gospel and on Christianity because it undermines or it helps undermine our children's faith. At a very young age, and when you talk about them, talk about your children, or rather, talk with your children about this, it just it doesn't seem to connect. And so, it's fair to question how strong Christianity will be in the coming generations. Will the gospel lose its foothold here in America? And the next question naturally follows, and that is, what recourse do we as Christians have? Well, let's see what we can learn from the Apostle Paul. First of all, we learn in verse 25 that he did not let his faith wane because of the attacks. He's thrown in jail after having been beaten. And what do we find him doing in jail? We find him trusting in God. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Um, he did not let his faith wane because of the attacks. Furthermore, he showed concern and love for his enemies. Uh, remember what happened after the, 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 the gates or the, the doors to the prison were thrown open? They stayed. 
and the, the jailer was about to kill himself and they said don't do that we are here they could have fled but they did not they showed concern and love for the jailer and they earned the opportunity to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ to him and he and his household became believers we might even surmise that some of the prisoners uh, who were there witnessing this became believers as well Uh, Thirdly, we also learned that far from trying to overturn the laws um, uh, unlawfully as they were accused of doing, that 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 was the charge that was brought against them. Rather, they used the existing laws to their benefit. What were, those benef- what were those laws that uh, they were using to their benefit? Well, by their false imprisonment and public beating uh, without a trial, the local, the local magistrates actually bro- broke two fundamental Roman laws, the Lex Valeria and the Lex Portia. These laws shielded the Roman citizens from humiliating punishments in public, uh, such as beating with rods. Also, a Roman citizen was always entitled to a trial before the punishment was administered. So Paul demanded the magistrates publicly escort him from jail and as an admission that the magistrates were wrong and that the Christians posed no threat to Roman law. And so that's what's happening here in verses 37 through 39 in our text today. Why Paul insisted upon this when he said... um, No, let them come themselves and take us out. Paul is teaching us some things here in this passage. Things that uh, we typically might overlook. Paul is teaching us that uh, Christians living in a non-Christian society can appeal to our legal rights as protection against unjust treatment by non-Christians. Uh, Paul did not say that his citizenship was in heaven, therefore he has no interest in the local laws, nor did the Apostle Paul say that it was, it was uh, not his business to resist uh, wrongdoing and go along quietly. In fact, he went loudly and he went publicly. Listen to Paul's statement in verse 37. They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. Every phrase was an indictment of the injustice done to them. In other words, Paul is saying he is not going to go lightly. As G. Campbell Morgan says, the magistrate's apology must be as public as the wrong they inflicted. We live here in a country whose foundational laws are made uh, to protect our religious freedom, to protect, uh, frankly, our freedom. And so the Apostle Paul is telling us to engage our society with the legal um, system that our country has, has established. We cannot, be, we cannot afford to be society's doormats. And neither can we escape from the society that we live in like our forefathers did and uh, escape into our church buildings. Uh, We must remain engaged. 
Paul had a larger strategy, and I'm moving into my concluding point here. Paul had a larger um, strategy or a larger goal than simply embarrassing the public magistrates. He knew that the public escort out of prison would, would publish his innocence, but I don't think that was his uh, chief concern. He, he didn't simply want his own innocence to be published. My rights were broken. I want my rights reestablished. That was not what was at issue, I think, in Paul's mind and heart. Rather, um, he knew that by publicly being declared innocent of the charge of subverting Roman law, that what he was doing in effect was, um, was helping protect the fledgling church in Philippi from the same charges being brought later. The Apostle Paul knew that he was going to have to leave Philippi and leave this fledgling baby church um, there behind. And he knew that this charge of subverting Roman law might come up again. And so by being publicly declared innocent, by having the magistrates come and escort him out, he felt like he was giving them some measure of protection after he left. So what should be our long-term strategy? If that was Paul's long-term strategy, what should be our long-term strategy that will help prevent our marginalization or eventual destruction? First of all, just as the Apostle Paul and Silas were in prison and they trusted God in the midst of their hardship, so we must always be growing in our faith and in our trust in God. Instead of... um, Sorry, I had lost my, gotten, gotten, uh, looked at the wrong place in my notes. Instead of growing in our faith and trust in God, oftentimes what we as Christians um, allow to happen is we become assimilated into our culture. In other words, what First uh, John calls, we become worldly. And we become indistinguishable from our culture rather than standing in our faith in God and standing against the flow of our society that is flowing away from God. We, flow, we go with the flow. We lose our distinction or as Jesus says, we lose our savor. What happens to salt when it is lost to savor? It's good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled under uh, by men, Jesus says. Secondly, we must go on the offensive. We must attack. We should not attack by trying to co-opt government. Uh, The laws that are on the books are sufficient for us to thrive as Christians, but we must hold our lawmakers' feet to the fire, just as Paul held those public magistrates, uh, held their feet to the fire. We must make sure that they are faithfully administering justice. Um, If that means um, that Christians run for office, so be it. Um, But we must not think that we have to take over government um, in order to be effective because the laws are on the books. We must hold our lawmakers' uh, feet to the fire regardless of whatever political affiliation they hold. The laws are there and... um, and, and they must uh, administer those laws justly. Um, 
We should not attack using civil disobedience. Um, 1 Peter 4, 15 and 16 says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Um, I got frustrated when I was in college uh, at the abortion issue, and I blocked an abortion clinic door with about 500 other people. And they picked me up and carried me off first. Um, I made the, the front page of the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Baltimore what, Sun or whatever. Um, and um, thought I was doing what was right. I think, I don't, after studying this passage, I don't think that was right. Um, yeah, I think it ended up being effective. Um, but I don't think it was right for us as Christians. So I, I'm still wrestling with that one. Um, it's funny how the public opinion on on abortion has changed. When I'm at that point in my life, I thought that it would only get worse. Um, we must attack. I don't think using civil disobedience. I know not. We must not use civil disobedience. Uh, rather, we must attack using the only ars- the only weapon in our arsenal. That ar- that weapon, however, is the most powerful weapon in all the world. That weapon is the gospel. The apostle Paul in, a- in Romans chapter one calls it the power of God. We are living in a post-Christian society. Here at Westminster, I believe we are doing a good job of holding on to the faith as Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians. Uh, We're also faithfully committed to the sovereignty of God and to the primacy of grace uh, that Jesus secured by his death on the cross. But we cannot sit here and wait for non-Christians to come into our doors. That can't be our strategy. We must take the gospel into our society and into the world and attack with the gospel. Now, what is it, Matthew 16? Even the gates of hell will not prevail against the church as she takes the gospel. And we cannot do it alone. I think we need to partner with other Christians here in our community who... uh, who, who, who are effectively taking the gospel out into our community. We live in a post-Christian society. If our society is simply... If, if, if Westminster Presbyterian Church is the only firewall between our society continuing to go uh, further and further away from God, um, we can't resist the tide. Uh, God has given... Uh, churches all across our community that trust in Jesus Christ, that love Him and are proclaiming His gospel. And we need to be able to take the gospel into our society. Here's the good news. Victory is certain. Just like they they love to say, D-Day ensured V-E-Day, Victory in Europe Day. Uh, Once that foothold was solidified in Europe, victory for the Allies was certain. When our Lord Jesus went to the cross, paid the full penalty for our sins, and then rose in glory from the dead, 
and ascended to the Father and sat down at His right hand. All authority in heaven and on earth were given to Him. And He gives it to the church through the Great Commission. Victory is certain. Jesus has unleashed His gospel through the Great Commission and all of His authority, all of His power accompany the gospel. And I believe one day, probably not in our lifetime, probably not in our children's children's lifetime, but I believe the nations will fall under the power of the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we look to you now this morning, increase our faith so that we might be like Paul and Silas who were able to sing in the face of such adversity. Help us also, instead of seeing our adversaries as enemies, to love them as Paul and Silas loved that Philippian jailer. And help us to wield that same weapon that Paul and Silas wielded in Philippi and in the deepest parts of that jail when they took up the name of Jesus Christ and of His gospel. God, I pray, as You have promised that all authority and all power that Jesus has um, is, um, has been accumulated for the proclamation of Jesus and His Gospel. I pray that You would help us to use it powerfully to, um, to bring people to Jesus Christ. That is the only uh, offensive strategy that we have. And that is the only firewall. The Gospel is the only firewall between um, our society and um, and more and more ungodliness. And, and um, so, I, God, I pray that you would help us to, to be strong in proclaiming Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.